We're on. Okay. So hello. Hello, Lee. So we just did at 10 minutes of recording on Riverside and it completely <laughs> glitched. So we decided to hop over to Zoom because it's a bit more easy with the tech. So that mm. leads right into what a big thing I wanted to talk about today and something that I've been working through. It's mm. been sort of a yoga, you could say, um, a practice is how to navigate all of these different technologies, all of these different things we have to do as creators. Like you have telegram messages, you have emails, you have Twitter DMs, you have to do replies, you're in engagement groups, you have to update your landing page, you have to figure out how to build a website. Like it's so much, it can often feel overwhelming. So how yeah. do you navigate this from a place of calm and a place of flow? Yeah, this is a really, I think this is something that everybody struggles with, um, myself included at times. And I think primarily you the most important thing that you can do to sort of move the needle on this is to understand the role of the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. And there's a fantastic quote. Um, the ease and perfection that you experience depends entirely on the extent to which you cease to rely on the conscious mind. This is from the Master Key System by Charles F. Hanel, and I immediately recognize this to be completely true. And we, you know, we've all tasted this, we've all experienced flow. When you're in a state of flow, there is no sort of self-referential thoughts for one, which leads us on to a different point later. But there's no attempting to control or micromanage or edit every last little detail. It's you're just flowing. It's you're, uh, you're channeling source. You could put it that way if you like channeling God, uh, unlocking your depths of your creativity, however you would like to frame it. We know that it's incredibly powerful. And so I think setting some boundaries, you know, saying, right, today I'm going to do two hours of engagement or posting whatever it may be and really kind of mapping all that out is that's very important but understanding that the conscious mind only has three main roles so that when we do go and use all these technologies and digital platforms we're not burning ourselves out just by default so first first role of the conscious mind is discrimination or aka choosing a high leverage task to do Okay, today I have two hours where I'm going to spend on the computer. How am I going to spend that two hours? What's the highest leverage thing that I can do? What is most aligned with my higher self, with the man I want to be in the future? Okay, well, it's writing my landing page because that's going to get me clients. That's going to allow me to serve more people. Excellent. All right. The second role is to guard the gates of the subconscious mind. Oh, you're not good enough. You can't do it. You don't deserve this. No. We recognize when those thoughts are present. And we just simply release them. I, I like to do like a free R system for these kinds of, that's what I teach my clients is you recognize when there's sort of some debugging to be done, AKA thoughts, which are based on redundant belief systems. So you recognize that they're there, you relax and you return to whatever you're doing. This also has the implications of not only guarding the subconscious mind from your own neuroses but also the neuroses of society and of family and of friends and people who will try and put you in a little tiny box and they're very comfortable with you remaining there so guarding the gates of the subconscious mind second task aka essentially mindfulness or one of the aspects of mindfulness and third it's imprinting your will on the subconscious mind what do you desire what do you wish to bring out into the external and manifest so those are the three roles and if you're not using the conscious mind for one of those free roles, then relax and slip into a state of flow and allow the infinite intelligence of the subconscious mind to do its thing. And there's a very simple way of doing this, which is set an intention, right? I want to write a brilliant landing page, which is going to allow me to serve more people. Let's say, you know, this intention should be aligned with your higher self, and there should be an energetic component there. Imagine serving, imagine how good that feels to see these people having these amazing transformations. Then relax. Allow all the illusion of control to slip away. Anchor the conscious mind onto the breath and just start channeling. Allow source to flow through you. And I find that that is an incredibly nourishing way to operate and to, to do the work that needs to be done, but in a sort of an effortless manner. And let me just see if I can pull up this quote from the Tao Chi Ching. I love it. That 
Yeah, the Tao Te Ching is such a... Okay, so it's practice not doing. When action is pure and selfless, everything settles into its own perfect place. And so, uh, you know, I prefer, Jack, these meta answers. So although this is not super in-depth about the individual steps to take, I prefer what's the big step I can take, which affects everything else. And that's really my... I guess, not, not intentionally, but that's become a personal philosophy that what are the kind of the big, real lever-moving actions I can take that then affect all the other smaller actions? And that alone as well, by the way, having that kind of mindset, really, uh, it reduces a lot of the anxiety and stress and the, the tendency to over-rely on the conscious mind. So let me shoot the question back to you, because I think you're really prolific. Like right now, you're making like a 12-part course, I believe, I saw some teaser of it on, on Twitter and it looked incredibly well done. So how do you navigate that? Because yeah, I'm, I'm super curious. Yeah. So I think it starts in mine. My tips are probably a bit more tactical, but they do derive mm. from this sense of staying in line with the higher self. So for me, mm. it's like, I know if I can set those boundaries and stay with my routines, I can wake up and execute pretty well. So what does right. that look like? It's like eight o'clock at night. I have an alarm mm. going off. That's telling me to brain dump journal, meditate and read mm. some spirituality or philosophy book before I go to bed, because mm. that keeps me in that higher state. And I wake up with intentions. Something else I've done recently, that's been pretty beneficial. I've actually slipped away from it a bit. This is a reminder to get back to it, but priming mm. the subconscious with the question before sleep. I was doing that for a couple of weeks and it was insane. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night, like straight up in bed and just have like completely new <laughs> insights and downloads yeah. about where I should go and how I'm going to get there. So for me, it starts at night and then I wake up in the morning and it's just purely execution. So mm. I'll basically drive to the coffee shop or walk to the coffee shop, depending on weather, whatever, depending on how far it is. And I'll prime <laughs> myself again. I usually play like a Naval podcast. Like I'll play his podcast, oh. How to Get Rich. And uh, that's just a great reminder of the business principles I want to live by. And that just gives me a little boost of motivation. And then once I get there, it's like from 5.15, 5.30 till 10, 10.30, like I'm pretty much focused and in flow. Now, the one thing that I'm still trying to figure out is I'll do that until about 10, 10.30 in the morning. And then I'll go to the gym, I'll go do yoga, I'll go lift, I'll go run, et cetera, I'll hit sauna, and then I'll come back and eat. And then sometimes in the afternoon, while all these really lever moving tasks are done, it's like, there's still a lot more to be done, right? It's the messages, it's the networking, it's the cleaning up emails. It's like the little menial task. It's like, oh, you have to call the credit card company or like these little things. And that's often where I find myself finding so much resistance, like sitting down to do four hours of writing or building, like with no notifications, phone is on airplane mode. That's like, that's peak flow state for me. I love that. But in the afternoon when it's like, oh, you have 180 telegram messages and like you have to like hit these <laughs> engagement groups. It's like, sometimes I just want to lay down in my bed and not even look at it. So right. I I'm curious how you navigate those waters of all those little pesky things that add up and just can cause this overwhelm. Well, I think first of all, that's really beautiful because we had like the, the sort of big picture and then the more tactical approach. Mm -hmm. I think that's beautiful. And I really like your approach and I, yeah, it's awesome. Those pesky things, they put us in a situation where all of a sudden it's not, it's not my time anymore. Now I'm doing pesky things. Now I'm doing things which are uh, not very enjoyable to say the least. But I think one big thing that can be really powerful is a mental reframe. All time is my time. Mm -hmm. All opportunities are meditation. Ah, practice. Every single receipt that I sign off is another step. And I, I often say this to my clients. It's like, every time that you complete, where's my finger gone? Every time that you complete a positive lever moving action like this, or even a small menial action, it's, it's like laying a brick in the inner shrine in your heart. A place that you can return to and find the peace, the simplicity, the serenity that is actually your nature to some extent. So this too, even doing all the little menial things, this too is practice. All time is your time. There's no separation between flow time, yoga time, fun time, 
menial task time. And finally, now it's your time. Oh, finally. Now, right at the end of the day, you get some jack time. Well, how about we just change that? All time is jack time. Life is the practice. It's not just when we get a moment to sit on the cushion. It's as we engage with the world and some of the boring tasks. Look, brother, I've moved. I've done an international move from Japan to Malaysia. I've gotten married and done all the paperwork and visa stuff that we've had to do and then have since moved into a new pad here in Kuala Lumpur. The amount of menial shiza that I've had to do had to do in this time <laughs> has been huge, along with also you know running my business, which has been um, abundant in the best way. So I, I know what you're coming from, and it's just like okay, this is really dull and boring. Perhaps naturally, that's my natural inclination. Now let's make it practice. Let's just flip the switch. It's now practice. Me doing this boring stuff is now the highest test of my practice. It's just another step forward on the path. It's another brick in the inner shrine. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of how I view these things. I'm, I'm curious, yeah. does, that, does that sort of resonate or? No, it does. It really does. Mm. It's always a great reminder because I read these things and I hear these things and I listen to these spiritual teachers and mm. they provide such good reminders. And like three things come to mind right away. Ram Das, when he talks about doing the dishes, he's like, that's your yoga. Like everything is your yoga talking mm. to people is your yoga. All of these are practices to stay in that state. I was also listening mm. to a Michael Singer podcast the other day, and it was called The Commitment to Stay Conscious. I really recommend that series, mm. his podcast series. It's tremendous stuff. And he has a quote that I actually just pulled up. He says, to really grow, you have to decide that's what your life is about. Nothing else matters. And maintaining that consciousness, even in those moments where your mind is like, oh, I don't want to do this. This is such a burden. It's like, no, this is an opportunity to practice, right? And mm -hmm. another quote that comes to mind is from Naval, um, where he's like, you can be meditating 24-7. You can be meditating when you work. You can be meditating when you're actually meditating. You can be meditating when you're walking <laughs> down the street. So that's such a good reminder. Now, it's easier said in theory than in practice, but I think it's one of those things that you constantly, you catch yourself, right? You catch yourself mm -hmm. when you're, your mind is going crazier when you're dreading something, stepping back, gaining awareness. So for you now, because you're you're much farther along on this journey than I, like when these do these thoughts come up, like when you have to clean up emails or you have to like adjust this little thing on your website, like what is your process for navigating that without attaching to the mind? I guess. Well. Yeah, no, it's an interesting question. Um, I try to just, if there's an element of just just do it, you know, just do it. And I think um, for me, at least, one thing that you can, a way to kind of uh, alchemically transmute the mundane into the mystical or, or the beautiful, or just into practice, is just to slow yourself down a little bit. Bring the energy down and into the body. Anchor it in the in the hara, in the gut, in the lower belly with the breath. And just really engage with whatever is in front of you and recognize that, and this, this mindset works for some people, it doesn't work for others. It somewhat depends on your inclinations. Recognize that everything is sacred. Every turn of the page, every click of the mouse, every thing that you type, try and recognize the sacredness of it all. It's all, you know, again, this mindset works for some people, not for others. It's all God's love, or you could say it's all practice. And just that act of slowing down and really engaging with what you're doing, it just makes it, it's like, oh, wow, I can enter into a flow state when I'm doing whatever, not only when I'm doing enjoyable tasks. And that is a faculty to train. It's not, it's not something that you can instantly tap into, something you have to train. But I, I do completely. By the way, I thought he, I always thought that guy's name was Naval, which would be a rather sort of unfortunate name. Now he's saying Naval, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. It sounds much more, much more profound that way, Naval. Yeah, <laughs> Naval. Yes. Yeah. No. Okay. Good. Well, thank you for illuminating that. I think as well. Yeah, he's right. You know, really, this is the practice of mindfulness. It's just about slowing down. That your meditation doesn't finish as you get off the cushion. It's just that your object of meditation moves away from being the breath or a feeling of loving kindness or, or just doing nothing. And it becomes life itself, this very moment. 
and that is so difficult to to really engage with because we've a lot of the time we've made an unconscious bargain with ourselves that it's out there the relaxation that the moment where we allow ourselves to enjoy life it's at some arbitrary point in the future after 8 p.m you know when i can finally sit down and do what i want to do that is a really good way to exhaust your energies create a lot of resistance and tension in the body and mind and basically the burnout you know over time that's that's burnout so yeah i think just engaging with the moment as it is engaging with whatever you're doing no matter how mundane it would appear to be that's just the thought ultimately it's just the vibration it's it can't hurt you and that goes for all thoughts they're just thoughts they're just vibrations they cannot hurt you the only reality with that they have in this very moment is the reality which you choose to give them. This is hugely liberating to realize. So I'm realizing that I could ramble on now and sort of start talking about awakenings of the head and heart. And yeah, so, but it's a tricky business. And it seems that you navigate it, Jack, with a, with not, I, I won't say an ease necessarily, but it seems that you navigate it skillfully. So what for you has been like a very, high leverage thing in order to kind of be as prolific as you are. I'm curious. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that because sometimes, you know, I'm not thinking it myself. Um, but even <laughs> as you were talking there, the, the slowing down, the connecting with mm. the present moment, every moment is sacred. As you were talking, I was like feeling my feet on the floor. I was like feeling my mm. breath in this moment. I was like thinking we're communicating across the entire world. Like it's morning for you. It's night for me. And we're on this podcast. Like mm. it's a pretty incredible experience, right? When you really think about yeah. it like that. Um, mm. So just like finding the beauty in the mundane, like, and even this is not very mundane, but I really love that point. And <laughs> something that something else, this kind of ties into your question. How do I na navigate it? So one, to give you another compliment, like I love connecting with you and seeing your content on Twitter because Every time it stops my scroll, like sometimes I could be mindlessly scrolling. It's like, mm -hmm. like, oh, the, like 10 weight loss trips, 10 Google Chrome extensions. It's like, all right, what am I doing? <laughs> and then, and then yeah. I see Lee, the entrepreneur, and it's like, stop, embrace the moment, slow down. And mm -hmm. it's like, I need that reminder, right? We all need that reminder. And yeah. so mm -hmm. I really appreciate your content. And I appreciate when we communicate via voice notes or, or Zooms. Mm -hmm. It's super helpful. Um mm -hmm. But yeah, how do I stay prolific with it? I think it's it's realizing that spirituality and consciousness is the meta game. Mm. I wrote about this in my newsletter, actually, that I sent out today. And there's a book that was really life-changing for me called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen mm. Lakhiani. He's the CEO of a really big meditation company and mindfulness company mm. called Mind Valley. And Oh, that yeah. book completely changed my life because I was at a very mm. low point. I had just torn my ACL, failed the startup, didn't know where I was going to go. And I was sitting in my room with a torn ACL, couldn't move. And it was on my roommate's desk and I happened to pick it up. I hadn't read in years. Like I was the jock. I didn't really <laughs> read. And that completely blew my mind with like, mm. you can create your reality. And I never realized that until that moment I had like kind of subconsciously known, but that really put it into light. And so point is in that book he has a section in the book where he has 12 different areas of your life to rank on a scale mm. of one through ten so it's like health mm. relationships finances business um, happiness spirituality etc there's 10 of them i can't name them all but i was rereading that book this week just to glance at it because i was like it'd be cool for me to revisit this because it was so profound for me two years ago and i went through that exercise again without looking at my previous year's results and I re-ranked them and I then compared the answers and I was significantly higher across the board now versus where I was two years ago. Mm -hmm. But the biggest change was two years ago, I ranked spirituality as a two out of 10. Mm -hmm. I had no idea even what it meant. I was at that point, a pretty staunch agnostic or atheist, or I just didn't really think about it. I was raised Lutheran and then I started learning about evolution and science in school and I just started brushed it off. I, I thought it was woo woo bullshit. Right. Mm -hmm. And come full circle now, two years later, I re-ranked it and I ranked it as a nine. 
And I think wow. that is the biggest mm-hmm. change that has, that's one step upstream of all the other things that have also raised. Like, I think my health is in better shape right now because my spiritual growth has upped. I think my business is in better shape or where I'm going with business or going with my life is in much better hands because of my spiritual growth. So it's like consciousness and spirituality, I really think is the meta game. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Does that answer your question about the pro- like the pro- proficiency? I think so. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the prolificness. How, how, how do you say that word? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm I not sure. Yeah, no. Me, and uh, yeah, I could see that. And I was like, wait, how do you say that? Um, yeah, I think um, it certainly does. And you know, ultimately, <laughs> this is this is the highest leverage thing that you can do. And we we don't even need to use the word spirituality because that has all kinds of baggage and connotations mm. that can be off-putting to more, um, you know, perhaps agnostic or more sort of, you know, practical people. Yeah. But just learning how to relax, learning how to focus deeply in an effortless manner, learning how to slip into flow, learning how to be present. These are the qualities that make you the very best version of yourself, be that as a leader, be that as an entrepreneur, a father, a husband, whatever realm of human endeavor you are pursuing you are your best when you are centered calm and just able to see things without all the lenses of perception kind of muddying objective reality so these are the greatest lever moving things that you can possibly do is learning how to be calm learning how to be present learning how to recognize tension in the body and alchemically transmute that into just relaxation and just kind of going back to the previous point, for anybody listening to this, a powerful framework that you can implement just to really start engaging with the moment is, first of all, just come back into the room. Take a few mindful breaths and really feel the energy coming down and into the body. And just come back into the room. And just have a look around. Like, so right now I've got a chest of drawers here, I've got a wardrobe here, a mouse. I've even got a little praying gorilla that I won in a Japanese capsule thing. (laughs) (laughs) The point being, just come into the room and re-engage with what is and just, you know, drop all the concepts, drop all the labels and just have a look around. And you might find that just softening your gaze here. So instead of being like this, just softening the gaze just instantly opens things up a little bit. It's like, oh yeah, this is all quite refreshing when we look at it without labeling and adding concepts. And just taking a few mindful breaths. And now from here, just slowing down 20% and having a four point smile, an energetic smile in the heart center, a physical smile in the mouth, a physical slash energetic smile in the eyes and a smile in the mind. Four point smile. Slow down, treat everything as sacred, and do one thing at one time with all of your being. I had a guy the other day on a call, a client, very, he's an ex NCAA D1 athlete. I actually have quite a number of clients like that, oddly. It's a strange coincidence. High performers, very critical, very hard on themselves typically. And uh, he said, well, yeah, that sounds great, Lee, but I just don't think I can slip into a flow state while I'm doing X, Y, Z. And although this is a really crude example, it just, it does highlight the power of this. I slipped into a really profound flow state the other week while um, taking a shit. (laughs) And that's, that's, that's a very crude example, but I was like, wow. You know, every tear of the paper was precise and beautiful. And it just it just goes to show that if you can take it, if you can get into a flow state while wiping your ass and taking a shit, you can get into a flow state while doing just about anything. Because that's that's as mundane and as basic as it gets. It doesn't get any more base than that. So. Yeah. You can get into a flow state while writing a diary, while doing deep work in Starbucks or while doing whatever. So, yeah, that's. That just threw me for a crazy loop. I don't even know where to take that, but I, I absolutely <laughs> love it. I absolutely love yeah. it. And like, 
the belief that you can't get into a flow state during xyz it's just a belief like right like right mm. um there's a quote i think dan co tweeted it at one point he said your potential mm. is as high as your mind is open and like mm. i loved that because it's like when you are able to identify whenever a limiting belief comes up you can mm. just instantly see it for what it is and then break through it but i think the most dangerous yeah. limiting beliefs are the ones we don't even know we hold so right how can you become aware of those beliefs that are holding you back, but you aren't consciously aware that they are? Right. And yeah, uh, actually rather easily. Oh, rather, I should say simply, it's not necessarily easy, but the the foundation of all inner work and of all peak performance and of all, let's say, spirituality, whatever you want to call it, inner work is awareness. You have to cultivate awareness. This is a skill. This is a faculty that you develop. It's like a passive. It's both active and passive. Without awareness, and we can call this metacognition, aka the ability to be able to notice and recognize what is going on in the mind and body system. What thoughts are arising? What lens of perspective am I seeing through? What energetic emotion is present in the body and what's what's going on sort of just in you know in terms of tension in the body how can i be aware of this because once we're aware of things we can start to either let them go or perhaps investigate them if they are chronically arising let's say there's a, there's a sense of anxiety that constantly arises in a particular situation and you have no idea why it's just you've taken it just to be that's how it is well i mean that's predicated on some kind of belief somewhere and without that awareness to actually recognize, oh, yeah, this happens every time I walk through the door of Starbucks. Hmm. I've, I'm aware of it now. And now I can start to investigate, investigate it with this mind which has been sharpened, this sharpened axe, as it were. So that when you come to cut away at whatever is binding you, you can just slice right through. If your axe is dull or your mind, your focus is dull, you can be eh, eh, I mean, you're not even going to know that there's something binding you anyway. So, okay, how do we do this? Primarily, you do this through meditation, where you are sitting, and it's like your mind is a pool of water, constantly swirling and moving. All the dust is kicked up from the bottom. You can't, you can't see a damn thing, apart from the very surface level. Or in this case, it'd be the most obvious of thoughts and states. But as we sit in meditation, we allow the mind just to still. The activity slows. Now, and don't get me wrong, if you're listening to this and you've tried meditation and you've become aware of the chaos of the mind, yeah, that's fine. But you retrain the mind through meditation. My mind is wandering. I recognize. I relax. I come back. Again and again and again and again. Until the mind sort of stays here for a while. And when it moves, you can start to recognize it. So it might be in the beginning, it might be like, oh, the cat kissed on the, pissed on the carpet. Oh, I've got to go and do this, blah, 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 blah. You come back, relax, come back. And eventually the mind sort of just rests here more and more. What's the I need to, no. And so the pool of water just stills. And now we can start to see what's at the bottom of the pool and it naturally starts to come up and we can in that awareness in a compassionate awareness not pushing anything away we can just see what comes up what tension and tightness is there and just holding it in a compassionate respectful awareness not pushing it away if you try and push it away it just comes back it gets stronger if you ignore it it just starts growing in the background hold it in a compassionate awareness let's say there's a feeling of persistent anxiety when it's there let's hold it in a compassionate respectful awareness and just allow it to start to loosen up and eventually it will just liberate itself and fall away and it might even give you an insight as to why it's there so meditation still the pool of the mind then continue your meditation throughout the day by practicing mindfulness slowing down once you've cultivated this awareness that's when you can really start to you know, recognize the enemy, as it were. Enemy is a bit of a dramatic word here, but we can understand, oh, yeah, these thoughts, feelings, and perspectives arise in certain situations. 
and now I can start relaxing out of them. And all of those perspectives, thoughts, kind of habitual stuff, it's they've all got like a set amount of fuel. So each time you relax out of them, you recognize, relax, and return to the present moment, it burns a bit of fuel until eventually there's no fuel. And it sometimes it will show you why it's there. And you might get some sort of memory from childhood or you know, some sort of traumatic event or just perhaps a certain perspective that occurred recently. Or it just kind of stops coming. It's run out of fuel. And you're like, oh, my mind's rather still right now. It's rather calm. So, yeah, that cultivating awareness through meditation and mindfulness, essentially, and just really engaging with the present moment. Very long-winded, brother. I apologize. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Don't yeah. apologize. I, mm-hmm. I love the long-winded answer. I think you need the fluff. You need all the philosophy and all the explanation to really understand it. So what I'm curious about now, and just this is something that I've personally been neglecting a bit, and I know like meditation is one of those things that a lot of people say they do, but like who, how many people really do it and sit down and practice every day. And I can say, since I've been home now for a couple of weeks and I've really been in this grind mode of like the focus is business. Like there's, I've probably neglected it half of the days, right? Like I set an intention to do it, but I'm like, I don't really feel like it. So why should somebody like me make it a non-negotiable to sit every day i mean how do you feel when you sit versus when you don't sit yeah i can definitely navigate those chaotic moments throughout the day with more patience and more awareness so i guess that's the answer yeah and does does that help you move towards your goals in a way that's sustainable definitely there you go <laughs> that's so it. So how do you work it into your day? Like, is it first thing? Is it priority? Is it end of day? Is it middle of day? Where do you structure it in? I think just, I think in the beginning of the day is very good. And I think it can start from the very moment you wake up. And you're, oh my God, I've got to start doing stuff as soon as I wake up. Well, look, you're, you're thinking anyway, right? And it's probably unconscious. Oh shit, I've got this to do. I've got X, Y, Z. So start from the very moment you wake up by just making your very first thought, or or as soon as you possibly can, awareness of the breath. So you wake up, you instantly become aware of the breath. I personally find a prayer of gratitude to be very powerful here. And, you know, gratitude has very powerful effects on everything from the brain to the energetic system. So I usually say something like, thank you for this life, starting big. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this very moment. Not just saying the words, feeling. And then from there, getting up, maybe, you know, go to the toilet, doing what you need to do. And then immediately going to sit 30 to 90 minutes, depending on the day. And uh, I'm not saying everyone has to do this, but um, yeah, I would say that starting the day with this kind of collected calm mind is the foundation on which all sustainable progress is formed. So that's how I would go about it. And I'm trying to be very intentional with the length of my answers here. So because <laughs> I don't want to ramble too much. But I mean, okay, let's yeah. for you, Jack, on a day where how do you implement it? When you wake up, kind of what are you doing? I'm curious. So I've tried a little system over the past week or so, which has been kind of cool. But over the mm. past couple of days, it's been more I'm just falling back asleep. So here's what I'm doing. <laughs> I've been setting mm. three alarms. So the first mm. alarm goes off and I hit snooze and then I try to do the meditation in my bed, right? As I'm like waking mm. up for t- say 10 minutes. And then another okay. alarm goes off and I practice the gratitude for five minutes. Mm. And then the third alarm mm. goes off and then it's time to wake up. So that's been mm. how I've been trying to incorporate it in. But I notice in myself that desire to essentially wake up and get to it wake up and get to the work. I'm excited to do the work. And I think that's a good thing. I think it means I'm working Mm -hmm. on the right thing. But so I'm just thinking, I need to experiment and play around with it, but maybe carving out more time in the morning for that or sticking to a midday session or maybe even at night. And at night, I've been a bit more consistent with it. After I journal, Mm -hmm. I'll sit 
for 15 to 20 minutes, but sometimes I just, I want to read. So it's like, I'm not so quite disciplined and consistent with it as potentially I should be. Although, Although there have been times when I've been not in such a building phase and a building season where I find it much easier to carve out that time. So I think it comes back down to discipline. That's, it's really an act of discipline. Well, maybe an act of discipline or simply a matter of perspective. I'm in building season. I am going to be very busy right now and I'm going to be doing a lot of activity. Actually, this is when I need this the most, not the least, Mm. Mm. you know, just like an athlete who's training, he's in, let's say he's a fighter in training camp. He also needs more than ever. He needs that active, or well, not active, but he needs rest and recovery time. Because if you get injured halfway through the training camp and you don't make it to the fight, let's say, I'm a big MMA UFC fan, so this is kind of the analogy I'm using, and I know you're an athlete. So if you don't make it to the fight, well, you're fucked. You know, it, you, don't, you don't get your money, you don't get to perform, you don't get to show what you've been working on. So. It's a recognition that there's there's two times where you really need meditation the most, which is when you are the busiest. And there's an old expression, meditate for 30 minutes a day, unless you're too busy, then do it for an hour. And I'm, I'm sure everyone's familiar with that. <laughs> yeah. So it's when you're super busy, it's when you need it the most, but also when you're making really good progress and you're like, well, I feel present, I feel light, I feel bright, I'm illuminated, I'm great. I don't need that anymore. I don't need to practice. No. You take your foot off the gas and then you're you're back to this, this pendulum swing between good and bad, up and down. That's when you double down. That's when you put your foot on the gas and be like, no, I'm going to actually do another sit. And I'm just going to carve out the time for it and just do it. And I think it's the recognition as well that just makes you feel good. Just makes the whole process sustainable. So, so yeah. I think a lot of money Twitter people and mm. I guess we're technically in money Twitter, even though maybe it's a bit of a different frame. A <laughs> lot of us entrepreneurs look up to a guy like Alex mm. Hormozzi. And I, I look up to him for some things, but other things I'm not aligned. And like, he's of the opinion that all this stuff is BS, that all that needs to be done is the work. So mm. I'm curious if you encounter entrepreneurs in your work who are coming into your program with that mindset. And Mm -hmm. if they would actually, like, would Alex Hormozzi maybe benefit from a 30-minute meditation session? I think, obviously, Alex Hormozzi is a very unique character. I honestly don't know a lot about him. Like, I don't really consider myself a money Twitter guy. I mean, I say that, but Twitter has allowed me to kind of, um, compared to my previous salary in Japan, I make anywhere between three to five times that a month, generally. So... Twitter's working out wonderfully well in that regard. And it's allowed me to serve people, which is primarily what I'm interested in. The money is an afterthought. I don't give a shit about the money, honestly. It, it very rarely comes into mind. I actually just want to serve. So I'm really not dialed into the whole hormozy meta, as it were. Um, could he benefit from it? I mean, if you look at the science, certainly. But would it disrupt his flow? Look, everybody's individual at the end of the day. Everybody's got their unique way of going about things and perhaps for him his work is his meditation mm. i'm I'm, sh- I'm sure if you dug into it a bit I, i'm not sure but i'm sure he has some kind of practice to sort of center himself to bring him back but you know there's a certain point in our lives where building is the primary focus and maybe that's kind of what you're going through right now right yeah it's interesting but is it some people are wired for it and if you're interested in this and we know that you're interested in spirituality and things like the Tao Te Ching and the master key system resonate, then yeah, you probably benefit from it because, you know, I'm certainly not Alex or Mosey and neither are you. And that's actually a good thing because you're Jack Moses and that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful place to be regardless of what you do in the external. Being Jack Moses is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So yeah, that's my perspective. (laughs) That's a great frame. And mm. that is something that I've become more conscious of over the past couple of weeks, especially mm. when I got into this game and I'm sure a lot of people resonate and feel this way. 
you put people on a pedestal you look up Mm -hmm. to them as like they are above me they are better than me they are smarter than me but what i've really come to notice over the past couple weeks now that i'm connecting with these higher level players that i used to Mm -hmm. put on this pedestal that they're just humans like we're all just on our own inner journeys right like we're Mm -hmm. all just living our own lives and coming to accept where you are in this moment is exactly where you're supposed to be. And I've really resonated with that recently. However, Mm -hmm. on the other hand, there's a lot of people out there who are depressed, who are extremely anxious, who are not in a good place right now. So what, what's the border there of like, everything is unfolding as it isn't, as it is supposed to be, or my life is not where it's supposed to be. And I need to get myself out of this rut. What is your perspective on that? It is, you have to embrace paradox. Let me just um, quickly find mm. So there is, a, and again, I, I refer to the Tao Te Ching because it's one of my favorite texts. So the sage lives openly with apparent duality and paradoxical unity. The sage can act without effort and teach without words, nurturing things without possessing them. He works, but not for rewards. He competes, but not for results. When the work is done, it is forgotten. That is why it lasts forever. So there's a paradox here where we, this, this is how I, this is actually something I teach my clients. It's like, paradoxically, you need to recognize that you're already whole, complete, lovable, and worthy of love. Now, that's going to make some people go, oh, hang on a minute. That's a bit uncomfortable. But, you know, this is one of the original sins one of the original self-limiting beliefs from which all the other self-limiting beliefs and the subsequent depressions and anxieties and neuroses seem to spring out of is this somewhere along the line, some part of you believe that they are not lovable. And that wound from the past seeps out into the present and colors certain perspectives and it colors certain thoughts and reactions. And it prevents you from being the person who you need to be in the future. And so it's vital to operate from a place of, I am already whole, complete, lovable. I'm already powerful. I'm already, I've got everything that I need. Whilst paradoxically recognizing that on the level of the relative flesh and blood, at the same time, there's an awful lot of work that can be done. And a lot of improvement can occur. And just holding that paradox is very powerful. And I I really, one thing that I've come to understand is that the amount of conflicting or paradoxical beliefs that you can hold at one time, recognizing the validity of all of them while remaining attached to none, is kind of the degree. To me, that's a sign of intelligence. It's when we get fixated on a single belief system, that's when you know things tend to go wrong. And to be honest, brother, I've kind of forgotten the original question, but uh, does that answer it? I'm guess. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. No, I, I like mm. the answer of paradoxes and something Mm. i've come to is like all the greatest truths in life are paradoxes i think i put i put out this tweet Mm. a long time ago when i was stumbling across this um Mm. a sign of intelligence is being able to hold two conflicting ideas in your head see the Mm. point in both of them and not attach with either um there you go you've you've been mind raiding me (laughs) here yeah no it's uh that probably stemmed from a guy on youtube named actualize.org have you ever gotten into his stuff leo i I just recently watched him just recently because i heard all kinds of uh yeah to me he's not it Mm. i respect him for doing his thing that's not somebody i would take uh advice from personally uh there's a whole load of controversy around yeah, there's, yeah. there's tons of controversy around him. And basically, if you're going to be a spiritual teacher, I don't consider myself a spiritual teacher, by the way. I, I, some people say, oh, you teach spirituality. No, I don't really like the tag. Um, but he does. He's, he's a spiritual teacher. Specifically, he's teaching about enlightenment and awakening. Right? Mm-hmm. So I, I believe that when you're teaching this kind of stuff, it's incredibly tender and it must be approached with utmost respect and humility and it has to come from a place of knowingness and when i watch him i don't get that he's got it and so to me that's not it and you know there's a lot of obsession with phenomena on his end and sexual stuff and to me that's just you know it doesn't resonate which is fine and i'm not judging him it's just that's not for me 
Um, but yeah. I'm sure that there's tons of nuggets of wisdom in his content. And uh, I mean, are you a fan of his? And if I just shat on your no, well, preference. a lot of his stuff has been powerful for me. And this is what mm. I, I think it comes back to the paradox. It's a sign of intelligence is being able to take ideas from somebody, but not attach to them ideologically as a fan or not a fan. I have heard mm. some controversy about him. I haven't looked into it, but a couple videos, especially more so just his elaboration on topics that are really high level, like mm. ego development and developmental psychology and spiral dynamics. And these are things I never learned about in school. And mm. they showed me like just watching the nine stages of ego development. It completely reframed how I saw the world because it helped me understand like why some people act the way they do right and that there are higher levels to aspire towards in your actualization journey um mm. and that consciousness there are levels to it and maybe this will tie in well to something we were talking about on our riverside podcast before but right before <laughs> we got cut off so yeah after my ayahuasca ceremony i sent you a voice mm. note with a lot of the downloads i had and the revelations around where I think my potential could lie and things I could build and what I want to do with my life. And mm -hmm. you said something that was super profound. And you said, if you can raise your consciousness, you become inevitable. If you can get your consciousness up to a level of say 500 on the Hawkins scale, everything else will flow from there. So maybe this would be a good jumping off point into this idea about like raising one's consciousness. So I'm just starting Hawkins work, like literally as of two nights ago, I started awesome. reading power versus force and I'm understanding the maps of consciousness, a very, very entry level. So maybe you could elaborate a bit more on like this scale of consciousness mm -hmm. and why is it so important as like this meta to then build your entire life upon? Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. And um, yeah, your ayahuasca experience sounded incredible and uh I mean, I really thank you for sharing that with me. But um, yeah, the Hawking scale of consciousness, again, it's just a tool. I'm actually right. not that familiar with Hawkins' work. I primarily know it through Matthew Latinus, who I'm sure you're familiar with on Twitter, who's one of the very yeah. best accounts. Oh, you're not? Well, bro, no. we need to hook you up. No, yeah, but he's become <laughs> a very, very dear friend. And he's one of the major proponents of Dr. Hawkins' work on Twitter. But we have both been discussing as of late that past the 600 level, where things start to go beyond concepts and it gets non-dual. That's where it sort of breaks down. And yeah, it it loses a lot of its sort of value. But below that, which is where, you know, realistically, most people are kind of operating. And that's not a judgment. That's just kind of how it is. And I think most people would readily admit that if they kind of read the descriptions. That's where it can be really useful. And so getting up to a level of 500, this kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier. This is a place where... Because I believe you kind of have to work with the ego before you transcend it. You have to shape the mind into something beautiful, honed and, and shining before it can kind of see through itself. The first awakening usually occurs at the level of mind. It's like, oh, all these thoughts which have been tormenting me are based on a belief that I am a separate individual entity. And the mind has opened to a point where I can't reliably say that that's true. And all the thoughts which have been tormenting are just vibrations and inherently not self. They're kind of, they come, they go, they arise and they pass away. Where do they arise from? Where do they pass away into? That bears investigating. Because <laughs> we take them very seriously, these thoughts, and they really cause us to suffer. And the more attached we are to the content of the mind, the more we suffer. So that's why cultivating a sense of, sort of divine disinterest of the content of the mind is very powerful. But... Getting back to your question, getting to that sort of 500 level of consciousness means recognizing that you, just as you are right here and right now, are already whole, complete, lovable, and worthy of love. And you are, just by being, perfect. But most importantly, incredibly lovable. So recognizing that you, Jack or you, the listener, whoever you may be, are incredibly lovable. You are, you are loved. You're safe. And every single cell in your body is lovable, safe, 
every single part of your mind is lovable and loved. Operating from this place of wholeness, of recognizing your inherent wholeness, it means that you move away from this paradigm of putting your self-esteem and your value based on external results, where you have this pendulum shift between pride and shame, depending on what happens, happiness and misery. And you learn to just operate from a place of contented, heart-centered, expanded awareness. But you, you've cut, you're kind of done with all the thoughts. It's not that they don't arise. It's just that they have very little relevancy to your well-being. Whereas when you really identify with the mind and with the story of Jack or of Lee or whoever it might be, those thoughts arise and they sort of drag us by the nose. And again, one-way ticket to misery town. That's the destination every time. So when those, let's say this is just kind of awareness, when those thoughts arise, if we just allow them to be, because we know that we're, we are already whole and complete, and we can just allow them to kind of come and go. In the same way that the clouds come and go in the sky, there's absolutely no reason for the sky to sort of identify with clouds. But it's when we latch on anxiety. Ah, I am anxious. I am happy. I am sad. I am anxious. I'm full of pride, I'm full of shame. Those things that keep changing, you know, let's stop honoring the changeable. Let's honor the permanent, that which is always there, that sense of I am. And that's how we can start to move up these levels of consciousness by starting to see through the mind's uh, fabricated narratives and ultimately through the mind's fabricated sense of self, of being a separate individual entity. I'm curious how that resonates, brother, because that's that's a bit out there, perhaps. Not to me. Yeah. Not to me. <laughs> Maybe to somebody mm. listening, but not to me. Um, I resonate so much. And that states, mm. and I wonder, I wonder what is really going on here, but that state you describe, that sense of wholeness, that sense of like this moment is complete those are the exact states I've experienced on psychedelics. And I always come away from those experiences mm. with so much certainty yeah, and so little anxiety mm -hmm. and so much energy. And I'm in so mm. much alignment with who I am meant to become and who I am right now. It's all perfect. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens is months later, after that experience starts to fade off into the past, you can forget about your intentions during that, right? Like the downloads are so clear. The downloads are like, you're supposed to be a leader. You're supposed mm -hmm. to serve people, all these things. And they really energize you, right? Like, I think that's mm -hmm. where energy comes from, like living in true alignment with that purpose or that mm -hmm. calling or your highest self. Mm -hmm. And psychedelics seem like a tool to get there. And so that's why I can resonate so deeply with it because I've experienced it in those moments and I've taken what I've learned from those moments and attempted to integrate them into my daily life. Now, am I staying in that state of pure love and wholeness 24 seven? Mm -hmm. No, but mm -hmm. now that I'm aware that is, it is real, it's not just woo woo. It exists. It's like that gives you an ideal to strive for. So I, I guess I got two questions with that. What do you think is going mm. on with the psychedelics that are making me and everybody else feel this way? And have you had any experiences yourself? And what what were they? If so, <laughs> right. Well, I think I think basically what's going on is that they're just removing certain beliefs, which we take mm. to be real, solid, and complete, and thus they shape our perception of the world and ourselves. They just allow you to see that what feels like a very solid belief is actually mostly empty. And it's not that real. And so this, this is all just a subtractive process. This is what meditation and mindfulness allow us to do. It's subtractive. We're getting rid of anxieties, beliefs, perspectives, lenses of perception, which very often are based off of childhood trauma. And that doesn't mean that we're broken. It just means that we're human. It means that we've, we've had a human experience because our parents aren't perfect people. And for that, we can only give them forgiveness and compassion. So they're just allowing us to see through certain belief systems. And you've tasted it. That sense of being inevitable. That, that's what I meant. Mm. That's how I feel. I've never once doubted what I'm doing in terms of business and 
serving people. It's just, it just feels, you know, I know myself, I know my nature, infinitely abundant, connected to all substance. The idea of Lee is just an idea. So this is moving away from this intellectualizing, tapping into knowingness, and this more sort of I am presence. It's not that that's a final destination. Um, in regards to my psychedelic usage, it's pretty minimal, to be honest. I have taken some, uh, hopefully the feds aren't listening to this, but I've taken some uh, magic mushrooms, <laughs> and I've taken some salvia divinorium, which is said to be the the sage's herb or something like that. And now, that was an interesting one. Mushrooms was pretty cool. Where it was some like I saw these very archetypal images in the ceiling lights, which like, like cowboys, Native American Indians, astronauts. Kind of weird, very very American actually in a way. But yeah, oh. that that was interesting. And I thought perhaps that was kind of Jungian in in nature, uh, the shaman, the sort of you know these different paths. But salvia was interesting because it's a dissociative. So typically, most people report this kind of onset of feeling like they are the chair. For me, I felt like I was roof tiles. And as I was moving my shoulders, it was all the roof tiles were sort of crunching together. And I was like, oh, I'm a roof. This is nice. And <laughs> then it feels like there's this sort of portal behind you, which is like <clears throat> sucking you into the void. And I always went to the same place, which was my village that I grew up in. I grew up in a very small rural village, population about 150 powerful community beautiful community and i went to the spirit world version of that and i just remember though with these sort of towering entities just looking down at me like we love you you're loved you're protected we are conspiring in your favor not conspiring because that sounds almost devious but we are you know you are you're whole you're lovable you are protected go and do what you need to do you know, we've got your back. And it was just an immensely like lovable and powerful experience. It's making me tear up just recounting it. But then there was also this sense of being intimately familiar with the feminine energy behind Salvia itself. And there was just this recognition. It's like, ah, old friend. It's been a, it's been a while, you know. And I'm not sure where that come from, came from. I haven't really investigated it a whole lot. You know, you can't really, you can think your way into a circle regarding these things, or you can just kind of intuitively feel it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is what it is ultimately. It's just a phenomenon ultimately. But that was very interesting. That's pretty much the extent of my experience. Um, how, how about you, brother? What have you ingested and sort of, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... First of all, I just find it fascinating that everybody has such a unique experience, especially with certain compounds. Like for me with mushrooms, it wasn't as much of a seeing visuals. It's It's been honestly with everything I've done. So, and it's not like I've taken a million things. I've done a couple mushroom trips. I've done a couple LSD trips and I've done one ayahuasca <laughs> trip. And they're all so similar. And maybe this has to do with my personality type. And I've been thinking about this, like, cause the INFJ personality type is mm. introverted intuition dominant. So like you're very in your head, you're thinking all the time and you just go inward. And I think those psychedelics could help you go even further inward towards your truest nature. And so mm. every experience I've had out of the five has just been deeply introspective and just thinking about like, what path am I on and where am I, where am I going? Those that's been the theme of every single one. And at different times, the path has looked different, but it's always been either I've fallen off the path and I need to get back on it, or I'm on the path and it's just like, stay on the path and trust that things will unfold in time. Because something that I think a lot of young guys and a lot of young people in general experience is something called that early 20s syndrome where you see the people ahead of you and they're like 30, 35 and they have it all, right? They have all the things you want in a material world and you want it all now. But being able to step back and say like, it's unfolding as it's supposed to, right? Like your purpose is unfolding as it's supposed to. That's what I've always come back to myself. It's always been introspective. Sure, on, on mushrooms, like 
the trees start to look a little bit different or like you see spotty <laughs> things. But for me, it's always just been my thinking becomes immensely clear and I feel I'm connected directly to my subconscious and my intuition. That's very powerful. And, you know, basically you can summarize that experience. We can crystallize it into moving away from this yeah. to this heart-centered intuition, feeling your way through life, trusting your intuition, trusting your natural instincts, operating in line with the Tao, in line with source. That's essentially what you're experiencing. And that the beautiful thing about that is that you can really start to integrate that into your daily experience, mm-hmm. into your moment-to-moment experience. And I think this is really the birth of true confidence. And this is the kind of 500 level. It's like, oh, I'm not my story. And I don't need, you know, as soon as you see through that illusion, because it is an illusion, it's just a belief. As soon as you see through that, the mind quietens down so much. And even when there is content in the mind, it just doesn't really matter. So I think that's what you're tapping into, brother. And I think, you know, the obvious next step now is to, invest start investigating I, I would say continue cultivating a kind of tranquil collected mind keeping and then start investigating this sense of i i am jack you know and that belief and see through it and be like oh it's kind of just an idea it's just a vibration ultimately and just going into that i am jack to just i am i don't know what i am and I don't, doesn't, I don't need to know. Yeah, I exist. That's all I can be certain of. And that, that's really the essence of I amness. It's like, I exist. And just being. And it's all the problems fall away. Well, not all of them, but let's say a good chunk of the problems fall away. So that's, mm. yeah. The obvious next step for you. Tranquil concentration. Get the mind really concentrated in a very relaxed, effortless way then start investigating your experience of yourself. And that's, yeah, the obvious next step is how I see it. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I'm going to come over. I need to go re-listen to this and take some notes because I've had a lot of gems come up from you. So I appreciate that. Um, I do have one last question to end mm. off on. Yeah. And I'll, ma- I'll make it more broad in general. So... Mm. Why should consciousness and meditation be important levers to be pulling or important pursuits to be going down for an entrepreneur or a creator? Well, I mean, quite simply, these are the highest leverage meta skills that you can possibly cultivate. It's all awareness. If you have more awareness, you can be aware of what's stopping you from moving forward. Once you've identified that and you can learn to relax out of it, you can you can scale your business. You can become a better leader. You can create a, an, an environment more conducive to growth. And also the more aware you are, the more opportunities you see. When your vision is constricted and you are just tunnel visioning on a single thing, it's very, very stressful. But it's also, it really limits what the potential that you can see in both yourself and your business, your environment, your whatever you're doing. So if you want to really pull some levers, cultivate awareness. And if you want to actually scale your business without stress, sleepless nights and, and rampant anxiety and, you know, getting home and your kids are there, but you can't really be present with them. And then that gnaws away at your well-being because you know you're not being the father you need to be. But you're trying to balance everything. Well, why don't you just learn to skip to the good part? Because, look, when you're 54 years old, you've made it. You've just sold your big company. You've made it. You're comfortable. You're set for life. This is the work that you would be doing anyway, eventually. When all the shiny toys sort of lose their appeal, you'd be like, shit, who am I? How can I access these deeper states of peace? How can I move away from my anxiety? Whatever. This is what you'd be doing anyway. So skip to the good part. Recognize that you are inherently whole. Get deeply rooted in the present. Cultivate awareness. And bring up your zen and your business together and learn to scale your yourself and your outside world sustainably and that's that's kind of how i would frame it 
and it's not just theory this is genuinely true and you've got the hormozy types who are look, very few people are hormozy you've got the naval slash naval types <laughs> who understand and recognize in the ray dalios of the world that all problems are essentially problems of consciousness and by raising your level of consciousness which means your level of power which means love in this context and tapping into this intuition your innate power your innate abundance you can this is the, the one of the most powerful ways to scale because like if you get if you've made it but you're so entrenched in your habitual patterns of perspective thought and reaction that you you're just a terror to those around you and to yourself what's the fucking point wow so skip to the good part and find your peace while scaling that that's what i would say that's phenomenal i think that's a great place to end it off i'm personally Agreed, coming yes. away with so many gems from this like it's meditation is one of those things i always it always goes on the back burner right but it can't <laughs> it, it has to be it's the thing that makes everything else flow so mm. i'm coming away from this conversation with an intention of tomorrow morning before i go to the coffee shop 20 <laughs> minutes sit maybe 30 mm. i maybe i need to push it to 30 um mm. but i i really appreciate this conversation every time we talk it's like i feel my consciousness elevating <laughs> so i really appreciate <laughs> it well, likewise, brother, it's, it's beautiful to have this kind of conversation. And thank you for providing the platform for us to have this kind of conversation. And yeah, it's been really a very fruitful conversation. And uh, yeah, I always appreciate connecting with you as well, brother, because for someone so young, you're very wise and you, you're you tapped into this. So yeah, just keep, keep tapping in and uh, keep going deeper and keep investigating and exploring and see how deep the rabbit hole goes. Because that's, that's kind of the yeah. fun of it as well. It's like, oh... What's really going on here? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, my wife just came in to get. <laughs> so, bro, <laughs> let, let's end. Yeah, let's end it here. But that was a fantastic conversation, and um, yeah, lots of love and meta to you, and power to you and your journey. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll speak soon. Likewise, thank you. And then, really quick, last thing is: Do you mm. have anything? Where can people find you? What can they expect of you? I know you're working on something new um just plug everything mm. sh shamelessly uh well you can find me at mystical underscore xo which is a tag i probably need to change soon uh, <laughs> i actually started this twitter account because my wife was like can you stop going on about meditation and mindfulness so much and just go and tell people who care and um so i did i made an anonymous account and uh, it was called mystical uh with an ai generated monk picture and uh yeah so that's that's one place you know, I offer one-to-one -one coaching, a 90-day program to help you kind of relax out of your habitual patterns and find a place of sustainable scaling and inner peace, whilst also unlocking all kinds of juiciness of life and kind of getting back in touch with the present moment, which is all you've got, by the way. And it's all it's all you will ever have. <laughs> yeah, really teaching people to slow down. Inevitably, we go through lots of we go through some of the wounds of the past that leak out into the present and affect the future as well. Um, yeah. And I will be cooking some stuff up, but it's too early really to, to mention that at this point, I would say. So yeah, I just want to say thank you very much, Jack, for the platform and lots of love to you. And yeah, let's keep connecting. Thank you for coming on. This was awesome. And I'll link all your stuff below for anybody that's interested, but anyways, this <laughs> was sweet. We'll have to do it again. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Awesome.